welcome to Miracle Nutrition with Hardy White. I'm Hardy White. Join me now as we cast some light on the world with our tiny little flashlights. Our tiny little flashlights of thinking about things, of being together, of trying to put together the pieces of this crazy puzzle where most of the pieces are missing or have yet to be made. Tonight Show, 1979, Johnny Carson introduces a karate man, American combat karate man, Richie Barthy, AKC registered, ACK registered karate man. Now, Richie comes out. And he is uh, an impressive human being. He is wearing a, a United States flag-themed gi. So it's red, white, and blue. He has long black hair. His hair almost goes down to his, his back. So he strikes an imposing. He's not all that tall. He's shorter than Johnny. But my goodness, what he lacks in height, he makes up for and just looking uh, intimidating in so many ways. And Johnny introduces him. He says, this is a karate man. And this karate man is very strong. And he has been going around breaking things on purpose. And uh, he's going to do a demonstration today. He's going to break not, not boards, not thick plywood with thick laminate. He's going to break granite slabs, composite granite slabs. Can you believe that? And he's going to punch him and kick him and every sort of thing. And so he had some assistants come out, and he 
kicks a slab so hard and it sh- shatters into a million pieces. And uh, he and those assistants, they go flying back. And he does some other demonstrations. So he has them attack him. He says, you know, it's one thing to break concrete slabs, the kind that break on construction sites when you're trying to install them with the slightest tap of a rubber mallet. And then it's another thing when somebody's coming at you with a weapon, like a knife or a tire iron or a broken bottle were the three things that they used. Um, all the three things that happened mostly. So the they'd come at him and he'd do stuff real quick to him. And all of a sudden they were disarmed and they were on the ground and he was in some kind of advantageous position. And Johnny questioned him and goes, yeah, I'm a bouncer in Manhattan. That's my main thing. And uh, so this isn't, we don't compete in this kind of karate. This is for, that's why, you know, we're hitting the boards to show you because we don't want to hit a person that hard and shatter their skull. But that's what it's for. This skull shattering type of karate for if you want to break, break somebody in half. So you'll see when he's attacking the people, Johnny says, well, that guy didn't hit you with the tire. And he goes, no, by that time, it's too late. You want it, Once I see the tire iron, I think that I need to take him out, he said. So he's, he's preemptive. And if, uh, if you're preemptive enough, he could have gotten the guy an hour earlier in the bathroom and really had an advantage. But he's like, I'm, I'm going to wait. I'm, if I wait until this guy's intentions are clear, then I will clearly be... <laughs> So we did that with the knife and the and the broken bottle. Crazy. So if that wasn't enough to convince you, hey, I gotta I'm gonna get the yellow pages and look and see if there's a franchise in my area to learn this. Cause look at that. It's, and Johnny looked and says, Oh, your hands are all swollen and rough. And yes. And um, just like my childhood dentist. I wonder now if he had been a karate enthusiast. I thought you have You'd have more delicate hands, childhood dentist, but you don't. You had big old mitts. He might have been wearing baseball mitts because I don't want to put my hands in a kid's mouth. But they felt like they were hands, but they just thought, can you do the fine work really on my teeth? And it, there doesn't need to be any really on my teeth, but they were smaller when I was young. My teeth are smaller. How do I know this? I know this because my mother kept them in a little plastic box, a vile-looking thing. And I knew it had my old rotten teeth in it, so it didn't go in there. That traumatized me for a long time. I go, what else are you keeping? What other body parts are in there? I'm trying to think if, I, if any of them fall off of you as a, well, umbilical stump. Some people, can, oh, let's put this umbilical stump in a 35-millimeter film canister and keep it with all the baby's things. And then, when you're looking for a roach you'll find a scab, baby's first scab. So uh, this fella's going to demonstrate more, this uh, Richie, and he's going to, I'm going to do something. I'm going to break a record. He said, that's pretty easy. No, come on, Dad. He's going to stack these granite slabs with little spacers in them so that they're causing a chain reaction, and he's going to break them. Right there on stage at the Tonight Show in Burbank, California, where I believe it was. He started the show in the late 60s. In in 72, they moved to Burbank, California. So 
There on the stage, the assistants stack the granite. And Richie, clad in his red, white, and blue gi, has pulled his hair back into a stallion tail. And um, he's ready to go. And now they say, he said, now for a fact, we're going to light the whole thing on fire. Now keep that word in mind for effect, because the effect is going to be different <clears throat> than what they thought. So they pour what looks to be Zippo uh, lighter fluid or something, or maybe starter fluid for a, it probably is starter fluid maybe for a, a barbecue or something. I don't want to say the brand. I don't know. I don't even know what it is. Lighter fluid. Good stuff. And so we put it all over it's it's supposed to catch fire and he put that all over the thing and then they took what looked like a big mallet to hit a gong you know like a torch primitive kind of stuff. and they lit that on fire and then they tort they lit all the layer fluid on tire on they stacked kerosene or whatever soaked granite slabs and then richie approaches and he gets his, I guess, his, gets his chi all worked up. He's trying to get his chi all worked up. Now, the way that Curly Howard used to do this is, and I will go into this later, they showed him a mouse. And he'd go, Mo Larry the cheese, and the antidote to get him out of the, um, the state he was in, the highly agitated, violent state that Curly was in would be the cheese. Again, I'm going to go into that later because right now we're talking about Richie's special moment. And he came down upon that stack of granite, and his hand hit the first one, and it flew through them as if they were made of rice paper or rice. They were rice cakes or something else, like acoustic tile. His hand passed through the flaming granite. Don't think of granite as something that's on fire. That almost seems biblical. And the granite shall be in flames. And the band that long hair. So his hand comes through it and he's done, and everybody's cheering, and then he pulls back and his hand is on fire. Why? Because he just stuck his hand in fire. And so it got all the liquid all over it. And because it wasn't just boards burning, right? It was the liquid that was burning, and it doesn't care what it's on. And his hand was on fire. His assistant ran towards him trying to grab the fire or something. Rick is actually running away from him and, and trying to fan it out. And it's just, it just keeps going. And it feels like it went for a long time. So they finally got his hand out. And his hand's been on fire and it's just been through these bricks. And Johnny comes over and gives him a nice firm handshake and says, that was crazy. And then looks down and... Uh, Richie looks like he's going to pass out a little bit, and he keeps, like, touching his hand like, oh, that's smarts. And Johnny points out that he's actually burned uh, a layer of skin. It's all sort of pulled back. It's burned off. Um, horrifying. They're showing this on television, this man's wounds. And then, I don't know, Johnny diagnoses it as what, what degree burn or something. And they're like, thank him, and they say that's amazing. And he leaves the stage. And Johnny's 
I think clearly traumatized. He keeps mentioning it, and then they finally mention that he went to the hospital across the street and he's going to be fine, which he was. He came back, he came back on the Tonight Show and did it again with his foot and set his foot on fire. So he's fine. He stood up with his head, set his head on fire. I guess it's just this thing. But uh, it was interesting to me because I, I said, "Well, I'm going to look at I'm going to look at this moment." I'm not sure if it changed anything, or but I do know this. Tens of millions of people saw that because The Tonight Show had an audience of, back in the day, there weren't many things on. And if you're lonely, and people were just as lonely, and so imagine the Internet concentrated into a television show where everybody's, you know, like, I guess I'm going to turn on the screen. And instead of an infinite world of possibilities and all sorts of recipes and everything like that, and go, I'm going to do a YouTube tutorial on the Rubik's Cube or something. Back in the day, you know, 12 midnight, turn on the set, it's this show. And so, you know, everybody, a lot of people are seeing it. And it's interesting to me, his, uh, the whole premise of everything, his system of combat, the use of force, imagining that the granite is really a person because we can't use a person. But what we're teaching is how to, to imagine that people are rocks or wood or fabric. And then to destroy, once you do that, to destroy the fabric if you imagine they're trying to get at you or they've been asked to leave the bar and they're not leaving or you bumped into them in public. So that's where they're coming from. And I guess that's interesting to me because the idea of, of violence and combat is all very complex, isn't it? The reason that we do things, the reason that we feel the need to train ourselves to punch things because someday someone might have a tire iron probably changing their tire and we flip out and punch them in the head I don't know what that that might happen who knows I don't know what's gonna what's that guy thinking I think that a lot I think about sometimes if I haven't had a, a cheese sandwich lately I get paranoid and it's not really rooted in reality and I'll know now I know I go come on take some eat some peanuts or something but a lot, a lot, I used to not know. And I go, oh, but that guy's talking about me. And gosh, I wish I hadn't known AKC, AKA, ACK, karate. Because I would have done, I probably would have used it incorrectly. I wondered why I, I, I needed it. It's funny because I, I was full of fear. And so I was looking for something to preempt the threat. And I bet everybody else was too. Because if you didn't have the fear, I wondered why you, oh no, I'm good. Don't you want to learn how to break uh, granite and stuff? No, I'm good. Well, what if somebody comes up to you with a tire iron? No tire irons around here. You know, sometimes it's hard to convince people if they're, if they're not afraid. You say, oh, I'm going to have to make this person afraid before I'm able to uh, sell them my book. Well, my book is Needlepoint, but still, it's defensive combat Needlepoint, really. For It's not just ordinary Needlepoint. It's Needlepoint that you can do when you're not content, when you're, when you're fearful, and when you're agitated, 
and you say, "I'm making a, I'm making a needlepoint shield or some or a, or a, or a needlepoint." You can make any kind of medieval weapon out of it too. It's it's amazing. Go to a museum like an armory museum, like the Fraser Museum in Louisville, and it's it was a person collected weapons, and they had all the weapon, more weapons than you could ever weapon in a lifetime. So I'm gonna have to. I'm on. Well, weapon right now and you go pick one thousands thousands hundreds thousands which sword which gun which armor what suit armor which heavy ball with bumps all over it do you want which stick which sharpie stick do you want a pokey stick and everything oh what a what a variety so pick something like that and then we're going to make it out of needlepoint i don't see why not some of the smaller weapons petty point and uh, uh, so to sell my book, though, I've got to feel you've got to have a need for it. So I'm going to have to work on that. Now, as I was saying, uh, I was thinking about this Curly Howard thing. When the other day in my studio, I'm sitting right where I'm sitting now. Now, I, I never thought this would happen to me. I'm sitting where I'm sitting now, and I look over to my closet because I think I see something out of the corner of my eye. And there, as darted out from under the door of the closet, is a little, little mouse, little brown mouse, wee, wee timid, timorous beastie. What's the thing? What's the Robert Burns thing? In a book. The, um, Little mouse comes out, and then he pops back in, and he pops back out again, and he starts kind of, he doesn't know where quite he wants to go, and I look down, and you think, you go, oh, Hardy, I bet you say, you said, hi, little mouse. I didn't, actually. Um, I jumped up on my chair, and I said, what do you think you're doing? And I like that, and I started calling for the cat. I started screaming for the cat. I go, Mrs. Lady. My cat's name is Mrs. Lady. I'm embarrassed about that. Um, Miss Lady, Miss Lady, you know, uh, the Tom, get this mouse. And he's darting all around and kind of coming towards me. And I'm thinking, don't you come towards me, you. Now, this is all interesting to me now because now that I'm looking back at it, I'm, I'm thinking about my behavior. And I think, what happened there? Uh, that didn't seem like me. Why was I frightened of this poor little mouse who was obviously frightened? Obviously frightened. But uh, even though I'm much bigger, oh, I could take this mouse. I do believe in a fair fight, it'd be me. Um, I'm so much larger. I can't even, he doesn't even come up to my ankle. Imagine a creature like if you were standing next to a creature whose foot was many, many times your, your length, your height, you know, so, oh, oh, crazy, and then imagine if that creature was afraid of you and thought you were coming for him, imagine the danger you're in, is it your fault, this mouse had done nothing, it was so tiny, and, and my fear, was such a danger to it. Three. Here, I'm going to sing for you. All right, and here's where, here's, here's where the three stooges come in. Three blind mice 
three blind mice. See how they run, see how they run. They all ran after the farmer's wife who cut off their tails with a carving knife. Have you ever seen such a sight in your life as three blind mice? Three blind mice. Hey, knucklehead, get over here uh, with the boxing gloves. That's my mowing impression. I'm coming. Don't tell me what to do, says Larry. That's my <laughs> Three Stooges fan fiction. I'm, uh, that would be, I'm now I'm moving into Bubby Child territory. I don't want to, uh, bless him, I don't want to um, take his stuff. So, um, he, uh, um, Curly in this episode gets, sees a mouse, gets so afraid, like an elephant. I guess it's based on that gets so terrified that he becomes incredibly violent and, 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 and gains superhuman strength. But it's violent strength. It's chaos strength. So it, it, they, it's hard to direct. So they figure what they'll do is they'll put him in a ring, right, with a tough guy. And everybody look and go, oh, little, um, look at that. Short, chubby Jewish man is fighting a oh, big character actor. No, he's not, he's not going to win. So them, but then... Mo and Lara surreptitiously will show a mouse to Curly, and then they'll trigger this state of of fear and fear rage, fear induced rage. He becomes so terrified of the mouse that he just starts indiscriminately punching and swinging. He loses all. It's so strange, but but he he loses that kind of casual fear. Because he has been taken over by the all-encompassing survival fear, and it, mm. so he does that. Now it goes too far, right? Because they've let this energy out of there. So once the guy is knocked out, he starts directing this hostility, this unbridled uh, negative enthusiasm towards who's ever handy. And at this point, Curly will recognize, you know, get me off of this you know, crazy hormone train. And what I need somehow are the, uh, the aroma of cheese. I don't know whether there's a bacteria in it. And so he'll, he'll go, Mo, Larry, the cheese, Mo, Larry, the cheese. He does it like much higher. I do a lower version. So Curly would go, that's so high for me. So I'm like, like that. That's my signature thing. Um, same with Shemp. Shemp, beep, 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 He goes, beep, 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 I go more like, beep, 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 beep. It's just differences. I don't know whether it's taste or just the biology. His, given the cheese, it's usually in the, in the in, um, I think the cheese mostly in Three Stooges is usually Limburger because it's odiferous. odiferous. And it's, that's funny. It smells like. They didn't say, they didn't reference intestinal gas back then at all. So rude. That's a more recent comedy thing. They didn't make, pooey, they didn't do that at, at all. Um, so, the, isn't that wonderful? It was quaint back then. So this would get all, you know, and Curly would then calm down. Now, I don't know why. The realization that, you know, this mouse was actually, 
helpless, that his fear was unjustified, that he feels now grounded in the real world. This cheese lets him know that there's no basis for this imagined threat. He needn't be in a state of fight or flight. And it's been used and exploited by Larry and Moses, who are using it to win these fights. A lot of they did this in Wolverine and everything is saying, I'm going to turn this curse into an advantage by doing MMA or whatever, cage fighting. And you'll see this a lot. You'll see that the, oh, I can, what, what is this aggression for? There's no war on now. So I'll go and I'll fight in little mini wars and I will use this uh, curse of my, mm. so that's what they do, uh, do there. And I was wondering, I think now the karate man who didn't fight in the tournaments got to use it in real life because he was a bouncer. So he could go around and bounce at bars or he would go to other people's bars and see if they wanted to, to bounce and everything like that. So you get to, you get to use it. You, you're going to want to use it. I don't imagine that there's an item uh, that you would buy that you wouldn't want to use. I'm saying, I don't want to ever have to use that. I I mean, it's, well, why do you, well, I don't want to ever have, I might have to use it. I'm trying to think, that's when I say, in my head, I always think, shouldn't you rent then? Because I was thinking that about like, uh, like electric post hole digger. So I hope I never have to use it. But if I do have to use it, I have one. But they're a little pricey. And I could probably rent one. Mm, rug shampooer. I don't need one, I don't think. There's a lot of things. If I went through all the things that I need and don't need, I think a lot of them I think I need because of an imagined reality. I'm always thinking that something's going to be different than it is. I always think I need that electric guitar because what if I'm asked to be in like, a, in a, like an extreme metal band or something, right? Be like, hey, Hardy, uh, yeah, this is, uh, I don't know, this is Devin from Strapping Young Lad or something. We need to come play. Oh, can I, I can't. I didn't buy a guitar. I'm an idiot. I don't know. So I, 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 um, I'm trying to uh, maybe think about, like, what's, what am I really going to need? You need to, you, you think about this if you have to go and if you're um, fleeing from the authorities and you're going into the woods, you go, what do I really need? You know, I watched, uh, there's a, some YouTube videos of a train riding hobo and he's got real practical advice. You know, what are you going to take with you? You know, you need water, you need, I mean, there's just some things that we do need. And there's some things that can't be anticipated. I always think about that. Uh, if I was going to sell somebody they really something they really wouldn't need, I would make extra, extra sure that it was based on a totally imagined threat. So, but that's hard because you go, oh, I'm going to sell somebody something that prevents you know, aliens from coming. Wouldn't you look like a fool then if the aliens came despite that nice hat that you sold those lovely people? You know, because you thought it was a crazy, you know, but then you sold them something worthless. So it doesn't make aliens go away, the hat. No hat makes, I think the only thing 
a hat can repulse is like a potential mate. And they say, no, uh-uh, no way. Yeah, I can't do that. I can't, why can't, why, why can't we be married? I'm not going to lie, it's your pork pie hat. Oh, but I, I'm sorry. I know that, I know why you bought it. And I know all the musicians that you admire and everything. But you don't look like them in it. So, oh, so that works, I think. Oh, wouldn't it be interesting? I'm just got a business idea, and it's thanks to you, and you're going to be in it with me, and we're going to buy hats, uh, repulsive hats, or defense, defensive hats, or combat. They're not. I don't want to say combat hat. So if you go online and you put combat with any item of clothing, it comes up. I was just joking when it says, oh, combat socks. They'll sell you com everything. It's because everybody's anticipating. People like to anticipate. Well, 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 there is combat. I know. I, you know, I might live. I know it's cool. What if though? So you know, and what if there's combat and I haven't any combat socks or something like that? So I'm not talking about that. You know. So, but like, I don't know. I got. I got to think about hats. Hats that will make people go away. They'll see it and they leave you alone. So I don't know if you'd go camouflage. In the animal kingdom, there's all sorts of strategies here. So you can, um, that's one. It's like, well, I'm not going to bother with that animal. Look at the crazy thing on its head. I might get cut or it's, oh, it's scary or something like that. And the other one is like, you know, I don't even see it. There's nothing there is another strategy like that. I don't know, what's, the, what's one that don't use in the animal kingdom? I guess they use the mirror, you know, hey, no, man, I'm your dad, or something like, you know, imitative. But you're one of one of them. No, it's cool. I'm another, um, can't name it. I suddenly can't name one animal on earth. I think I've seen so many documentaries. I used to have a friend, and I swore to God he was a professor at the university. I'd never asked him, really. And it turns out he wasn't that he just watched a lot of documentaries and retained it all. Uh, and he had no interest in having any real responsibilities, so he worked making T-shirts. But he knew so much about so many things. He just didn't have any need to be thought uh, smart or he had no urge to have power. He wouldn't even take a management position with the T-shirt company because he didn't want to tell people what to do. He just really wanted to be left alone. Oh, that sounds fine to me. I don't know if I want to be uh, left alone. Um, what do I want? I wish my whole life would just people going, Sir, excuse me. I don't mean to interrupt you. Are you in the movies? Like that. I'm not. And I don't want to be. But that would, that's, I just want that part of the life. And I go, <laughs> No, but please join me and my friends. And you just make a lot of contacts and all friends and stuff like that. Why do you need contacts? Well, you never know. You know, let's say you got a card table and one of the leg breaks and then you're thinking back, you go, gosh darn it, Lance. You go, what? Lance, who I met at Bejebus, works for a card table company. And I'm going to call him and see if he knows. We can. That's the kind of connections I like. Not necessarily professional ones. But I, I like knowing people. Like if you kind of a... I'll, if I meet somebody and they're a widget repairman or something, I'll file that away. 
So I might need that. Thank you. If there's anything I can do for you, you're probably wrong. But ask me anyway. I'll give you a funny answer. I'll have a funny way of saying no. That's my talent. So I'll ask you for favors, and then occasionally you can ask me for favors, and then I'll turn you down in such a clever way that you'll feel like uh, reciprocated. That's what I tried to do. I try to give you something you don't need and then spend 90% of that energy convincing you that I've done you a favor. And uh, I, I, just because I want to be with you, that's it. I confess. I'm not trying to put anything over on you. All I want your company. And I think a lot of times when somebody is trying to impress you too, you know, they just want love. Oh, yes, I'm very important. And that's hard to take sometimes. But at the end of the day, they probably just want to be loved or admired or something. And uh, if they're extra needy, they go to all sorts of things to get that attention or that you know, feel better. And sorting through other people's motivations and their fears is just exhausting, isn't it? Oh, you think, what? I just wish everybody could be like me. Well, no, you don't. No, you, you don't. You don't think that either. Nobody says that. Um, what do they say, I guess? I don't know. I don't even know. But... I don't want people to be predictable or like me or anything. Um, I would like to not, I would like to live with less fear. That's always a goal. I'll probably get that right at the end and go, oh yeah, now I'm fearless. On the, on the eve of my death, I have found complete, why do I feel so detached and fearless? Well, there you go. Because you don't have a dog in the fight and you don't even have to know what a fight is anymore. No such thing where you're going. Where am I going? Well, you're not going. You're going and you're, you're going without going. Isn't that great? So I don't mind. Do I mind it? I say I don't. Who knows? If I said I did mind it, I might get myself all worked up. And right now I'm, I'm trying to distract myself in a peaceful, benevolent way. I'm always, treat, I treat myself like a child in that. Did you ever have to take care of a child and you think your, your best strategy is keep it distracted? Keep it from doing one thing so long that it's a hazard. You know, like if a child's digging a hole, you need to stop him because they'll keep going or something like that. You know, so that's, I do that with myself. I treat myself like a child. And I'm always going, look over here now. Look over here. Come on, don't you want to play with this? Crinkle, crinkle, crinkle. I guess I treat myself like an infant <laughs> who's, just, who's just learning the ways of the world. I remember taking care of an infant, and she was uh, in one of those things that you, you sit, stand in, and they've got, it's like a circly, I can't even describe it. I don't know what it is. It's like a chair, and you're surrounded by plastic toys that teach you different physical principles, like wibble bobble rolly scribble I don't know. It looks like they looks like controls, like if uh, Fisher-Price made a spaceship or something, and it looks like you're training them to be engineers. And they look real busy when they're doing it. The children are like, I need to roll this now. <clears throat> I got to do it. And it's great. They look like they're at work. And they're learning how things work just by, you know, moving the levers. That's how I'd be if I was, like, driving your train. wonder what this does. And I would just be, like, sipping a juicy. I'd have a juicy cup, juicy box. And then I'd just be moving a handle up and down. And you wouldn't be going anywhere. Why is this train not moving? I'm late for work. Yes, but... The conductor is learning and exploring. And I would do that. I like that. 
what they should do is just sit me there, put it on auto drive, and then put something over my head that's dangly for me to, to play with so I'm distracted, so I won't look at the levers. I won't be tempted to press the emergency brake. Oh, I'll never press the emergency brake on this show. It rolls forward. It careens without a driver. We're all driving. How can we all be driving? Uh-oh, if we're all driving, no one's driving. But guess what? Nothing's going to happen to us. There are no ends to this track. If we're in the air, there's no gravity. We'll never fall. We will float and fly forever if we journey together. If we agree that we will surrender ourselves, that we will get on this train or plane or boat or boat plane or airship boat plane or flying train or flying train boat plane, that we will all rise up together, that we cannot be harmed. Our, our spiritual selves, our physical selves, and psychological selves can all be harmed and destroyed. But there is one us that cannot be touched ever. What's that self? I don't, re I don't remember. Now I don't remember. I'm sorry. It's in there. It's in there. I just forgot what it's called, and uh, maybe... I've distracted myself. You almost said the name. I know it sounds like I'm about to say things, and I think that's, it's almost like a little bit, I do this when I'm talking, and I apologize, and it's the equivalent of, you know, listening to dubstep, and it gets, it's worked up and cranked up, and you go, man, the drop, this is, the drop is coming, and there's no, there's no drop. You just feel sick. Oh, yeah, rough, right? Like losing a sneeze. And so, but I think that the land, the area, the intellectual territory of losing a sneeze or having a train of thought come to an abrupt end is absolutely consistent with the way that life is. I have talked for years about what it must be like dying in the middle of a movie franchise that you really like. Say, oh, there's going to be six um, Adventures of Butt Mountain or something like that. And you go, but I'm, they're only on three and I'm terminal. So you'll know you'll never see the last ones. And we're always going in the middle of things or arriving in the middle of things. I think that with the young people. Say, so, you know, they just got here. They go, you, could you imagine you just get there and you turn on and it's, it's return to Gilligan's Island. Right? That's what you see? You, you were born after. You don't even know about all these things happen. And now you're just seeing these people going back, but you don't know what happened to them before. Right? You just arrived in the middle of things. There was stuff going on before you got here. There were things going on after you leave. And it seems that all... Everybody's very concerned with those things, too. So, so much so that they lose sight of the present. What is your present, and what happens if you lose sight of it? Let's say that you're on a subway or you're walking down the street in, in Manhattan or Shelbyville. And Shelbyville, Kentucky, not not the imaginary Simpsons one. Just wanted to be clear. 
in Manhattan, I guess there might be more than one. So in, in New York City, where they make the salsa. And you've got a present. You've got something wrapped up, and it is a present, and you leave it there in the sidewalk, and you walk away. What happens to you? Well, I'll tell you what happened to my friend's mandolin when he did that, left it on the sidewalk in, uh, in New York when he was unloading from a gig. They grow, they grows little legs, and it's, it scurries off and has its own life because it thinks that you've, you've turned it loose. It thinks you don't want it anymore, and so it runs away. There's a dogs will do this too. Like if you leave, do this experiment. Take your dog to the middle of a strange city and just leave it there. It might try to find its way back to you, but probably it'll assume that it's lost and you're never coming back and its heart will break. Don't do that. That's a, th what did I say? Thought experiment is what I meant to say. <clears throat> Gosh, I'll say that. I did that. I was um, substitute teaching. And, a, in, and I just left that one little word out, thought experiment. I meant to say thought experiment. I said, go home and do this experiment. And so that can get you into a lot of trouble. Um, and then was I responsible to say, oh, I forgot to say a thing. And they said, omission the sin of omission still is still a sin because it has that in there, right? Sin of omission. It's a type of sin, not doing something. Well, I don't believe in sin. Oh, uh, okay. Well, now I don't know what to do. I don't believe that there's a uh, necessarily a... Gosh, I, maybe I don't either. I know there's things that you can do that can cause great harm to others. Things that you can do out of selfishness or ignorance that can cause great pain, real pain, physical pain, emotional pain that can have death, um, just awfulness that can be uh, unleashed. Oh, wonderful, wonderful power. Maybe I could do that. Like a self-defense class, it's not physical. I just tell you how to be destructive, horribly destructive with your words. Is that good? No, why would I want that? Well... A lot of people seem to want that. Fear might motivate you to do that. I'm doing, I don't know what I'm doing, really. I'm doing a conversation, something, I'll tell you. I'm about this much self-preservation, just like you are, fearful self-preservation, do anything. But then there's part of me that has been contacted by aliens, not by aliens, but by those who love, I have been contacted by the compassionate. They have made contact with me. Constantly? Not always. But I have encountered those who love, and I have been loved, and I have been influenced by this. And it affords me a sort of temporary, temporary fearlessness. It seems to arm me in a way, this love. It feels bigger than material reality to me. I feel like if I had enough of this love, I would fear no pain and no death. That the love would be something that satisfies the most basic hunger in my very soul, my being, 
the core of my being? What if that could be satisfied somehow? What if it erased almost all fears? I've had friends who have died temporarily, and they do tell me, maybe not directly, that um, there was a sort of fearlessness, that they were okay with everything seemed just all right. Now, they didn't bring back that. They couldn't hold on to that feeling forever. That was a sort of a threshold of oblivion type of feeling, you know, but they knew it existed after that. And I feel that way with love. Am I, do I feel loved every, am I shown love or compassion or something every, every minute of the day? No, no, sometimes I'm not and I lose track. I have to remember the times that I was. And sometimes I don't remember them on purpose. Sometimes I want to get myself into a state of Richie Barathe, Curly Howard, frenzied fury, controlled rage. And I want to, I want to burn, burn. And when I do that, I suppress those memories a bit. The times that I was shown compassion or forgiveness and because I get frustrated I don't know how to I, I, I do this maybe you don't do this when I was a little child and I needed something and I wasn't sure how to get it I would protest I would do all sorts of things to get it I wanted to let my mother know how badly I needed it and sometimes I needed to demonstrate that in a dramatic fashion See how badly I'm willing to do this? I'm willing to stomp my feet. I'll bang my head against the wall. See what? See how I need this? Why are you ignoring my, my needs? And so I would try to get the attention. I didn't understand what was going on. And I'd act out in all sorts of ways. And I still do this, except not with my mother, but the universe. And I will say, don't you see? Don't you see the pain I'm in? Why won't you deliver me of this fear? Why won't you deliver me of this thing? And I hear nothing. And I don't understand. And I'm just stomping and crying and all that kind of thing. Because I think I think it's going to have an effect. Because it sure doesn't feel good. I think it's a form of communication. Of letting everyone in the universe know the urgency of my needs. How desperate I am. Because it does not feel like we understand one another. And I would say that, you know, oh, no, I don't think anybody really understands me. I don't, uh, we don't understand one another. But that in itself would be a profound thing to realize. And then maybe it err on the side of, of helping instead of harming. You know, I make all, if I have to evaluate people and see who needs help and who needs harm, I'm going to be wrong a lot. It's impossible to be right. I'm going to have to err on one side or the other. It's the way with some things. Any kind of justice I have to met out has got to be super imperfect. So I'm going to have to err on a side. I'm going to have to assume one thing more than the other so that if I make a mistake, it's a, a mistake on the side of love and not on the side of hate or the side of creation and not on the side of destruction. So, or the side of hope and not on the side of hopelessness. So I am going to be wrong a lot. 
but I'm over here trying to make a world out of thought. And thought doesn't have much substance to it. And it keeps seeping out of my ears. And it keeps falling out of my mouth in words. And it keeps coming out of my fingertips in art. And it keeps coming out of my feet in dance. And it will keep coming out of me in all sorts of ways. Because I have to express all these things in me. Oh, my friend, I don't understand this existence. It frightens me. I am both attracted and frightened by you. I'm attracted to you and scared of you at the same time. I am fearful when I receive love that that love will then be denied to me. Oh, every time I reveal myself, I know there's a chance that even though I'm revealing myself to grab that acorn, that a hawk will swoop down out of a tree now that I'm visible, now that I've exposed myself and put myself out there to gain a reward, I can reap the horrible consequence of that exposure, which is my own demise, being clutched in the talons of this raptor and brought to the sky, to my demise, and I feel the raptor's beak upon the sinews of my neck as it rips the veins from my throat, and I think, Man, I'm not coming back as a chipmunk the next time. This is rubbish, absolute rubbish. I'm going to be a bird. I'm going to ask to be a crow. That way I don't have to kill anything, and yet things are still moderately afraid of me. I'd say a chicken, but they're so tasty for some. So, But nobody wants to eat crow. There's even an expression like that. Oh, you're going to have to eat crow. I don't want me. I don't want to do that. It's nasty. So, um, man, this is just, I've had it. What's the flavor? It's the flavor of being wrong. That's what it tastes like. There's a crow season. I think it's February, one month, very short. And I don't know why I might want to kill crows, to be honest. So that's interesting to me. I looked that up once because I had a, a period where I was uh, over-interested in crows. I don't know what that word is. Obsessed? Not obsessed. It wasn't that bad, but it was the interest was going nowhere. I was just couldn't stop watching them and thinking about them and reading about them. I felt maybe they were talking to me or something. I knew that I was part of their world and their worldview. I knew they were paying attention to me. I guess that's why I started paying attention to them. Because they, they, I felt like I was on their radar, and I don't feel like that with other birds. The crows, they're like, yeah, I know everybody around here. That's the way they give that off, that vibe. Yes, I know everybody in the neighborhood. It's my business to know. But other other birds, I don't think they know me. You know, just just another another dude. If you are feeling right now any help. I don't know whether you feel it's any kind of nourishment you get from it. You turn on the radio, you expect to be uh, entertained a lot of times. And even the music, this can happen. You turn and go, oh, I'm not, I'm being uh, challenged or bored. <laughs> Which I don't want to pick. I don't want to say challenged or my show. I'm not very challenging. Am I challenging? I When I started listening to Hardy, I was thinking one way and now I'm thinking another way. No one's ever said that to me. Usually they'll say, you know, I've started listening to your show and I thought I 
I think I agree with you, and so that's why I love you. And I'd rather that. You go, yes, keep doing that. The camouflage of my sameness. I'm you. My camouflage is mirror. That's why I'm trying to cover myself with mirror so that when you look at me, you see yourself a little bit. No. Well, I don't know. Well, it doesn't work that way then. I guess it wouldn't work that way either. If I was perfectly shiny and everything, like the fella in the, the second Terminator, you don't really see yourself in that reflection. You just see some, like, shiny distortedness. It doesn't even work well as camouflage, I don't think. Every building downtown that's all mirrors, if it's trying to hide, I totally see it. And it's still casting a shadow. I mean, if it was all just clear glass and I don't know whether... But it's not. It's mirror. So it's it's not hiding like it, think, it thinks it is. Go back to just doing the big stone, heavy stone things. Admit what you are, stealing glass. Admit what you are. You're a big building. You're blocking the sun. You're not, oh, it's all glass. I can see through it. I see clouds. It, it, then once those clouds get blocked, you just see another building, and it's all confusing, and it's more like Inception or, or a Doctor Strange. So, I don't know, that's how I see all cityscapes right now, all inverted, oh, it's all messed up in my head because Dr. Strange, I think he was started when people were just taking more drugs or something, you know, and then there's this guy who's just like, and I, I guess we're, I don't know what kind of, where times we're in where you go, I want the real, the heavy drugs guy back. The character doesn't take drugs, I just think that the universe feels hallucinogenic to me you know things are breaking up when is it who am i is, is there another me anything we're very used to other, it feels so funny to me that multiple worlds and everything have be sort of been um become mainstream thought okay <laughs> like you know there's multiverses and the reason they become mainstream thought is not because of people's deep interest in physics but because everybody's run out of ideas, and so they have to make, the, to sell you something, they got to make up other, well, this is, a, this is a different universe kind of thing, you know? So, oh, my imagination is so stimulated. I thought they'd filled this one up with garbage. No, there's another one. So, uh, that's amazing to me. Could you imagine all these possible worlds where there's a story to be told in each one? Hmm, ching, ching. I will tell all the stories of the universe. I got everybody... I did this when I was time traveling. I got everyone to commit to sell me their so-called story. And then I'll tell you what that is. Because how do you know what's a story? You're in the middle of everything. This is the, this is the media rest. You're right in the middle of it. Isn't that crazy? So what's, what's story? How's that a story? No beginning, no end. Infinite present. That doesn't sound like anything but Miracle Nutrition with Hardy White on W. Oh, I should. Well, I'm gonna wait two seconds to do the station ID, but that's this show, is it not? There's no the story. Go well. The story was the Karate Man and the Mouse. Did it have a point? It didn't have a point. It was an exploration. It had the point of say, let's go in a cave. All right, we're gonna take a flashlight and look around the cave. And then we get out of the cave and you go, all right, what was the point? And you go, there was no point. We were exploring the cave. I don't know what you found. 
We weren't looking in the same spot at the same time. We were in there to have an experience, to experience the present, to go somewhere with curiosity, to find mystery in the ordinary by bringing some sort of illumination to our ordinary lives in the form of a strange observation. And that observation casts a sort of light and it electrifies other details of our life and they come into clearer view and we start to see people's behavior in light of other things, maybe things that happened before we got here and things that will happen after we leave. Oh, my friends, the joy that I feel in my heart when we connect. Are we connecting? Yes, a bit. I feel like we are. I feel like we're friends. What's the point of being enemies? We're all going to be gone at some point. We all weren't here at some point. There's no reason not to lift one another up. We can do this. And uh, I have wonderful, it's so wonderful not being a threat to anybody or in competition with anybody, too, because I can't, my, my, me and others' imagination is uh, usually not a uh, rival. And I love that. You know, I'm competing with Hardy. I'm going to have the best radio show that, but that's not hugely well-known or doesn't, you don't know what it is really. But I'm going to have the best one of that. So, yeah, there's nobody, there's nobody competing. I want to be the next Hardy. Nobody says that to me. Nobody calls up and go, Hardy, will you be my mentor? I say, what? no, what do you mean? Who is this? And they go, I'm just kidding. It's your friend so-and-so. Um, no, what I say? I, I don't know. I don't know what I do. I can't show you what to do. I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm sorry about that. Can I do an internship? No, I don't know what I am. So I wouldn't know what to, where to go about. I would just end up saying, you know, this is how you make ginger sauce or something like that. I guess that's something to learn, but it has nothing to do with radio. Um, you're listening to me right now because of of, uh, of luck. Weird, weird circumstances. One thing after another. Just me not ever stopping doing a thing. Hmm. You are listening to Miracle Nutrition with Hardy White on WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, 91.9 in Rockland County and New York City, New York, and online at WFMU.org worldwide. I am so glad to have been with you today. It seems that every week a lifetime passes. The world changes profoundly with every tick, with every hour, with every day. And it is a blessing to be able to share any of that small time with you, my friend. I'm always thankful for it. So I hope that you have a wonderful week, and I will see you again next week.
Twins name was Ebony. Her name was Mahogany. Twins name was Ebony. Her name was Mahogany. Twins name was Ebony.
la face du soleil et des aïeux, prions alors notre indépendance. Jeunes, insoucieux, ignorant le monde qui nous entourait. Nous ignorions les régions qui limitaient notre petit coin d'Afrique. Nous ignorions qu'il pouvait exister d'autres régions où des petits noirs, des petits jaunes, des petits blancs jouaient, se débattaient dans d'autres fleuves. Et nous, nous avions notre Niger, notre soleil, notre forêt. C'était le bon temps, le temps du royaume des enfants, des enfants de toute la terre. Il y a de cela qu'importe le temps. Il fallut grandir, quitter le pays, pour Paris, capitale du monde, capitale de l'Afrique noire. Ici, la brume a remplacé le soleil, les cris des machines, ceux des hommes de la nature. Mais Paris est le centre des espoirs, de tous les espoirs. Paris est aussi la ville des promesses faites par les jeunes à leur pays d'égalité. Paris, où sont donc les chemins en or de nos comptes d'enfants 